Our scripture reading this afternoon comes from Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah 48, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. This is in connection with Lord's Day 36, which deals with how we honor the name of the Lord our God. Isaiah 48. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord, and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city, and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass, I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, My idol did them, my carved image, and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this. And will you not declare it? From this time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things, that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today you have never heard of them, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old your ear has not been opened, for I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake I defer my anger, For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So far, the reading of God's word. As we reflect on what we've read together, let's sing from Psalm 71, stanzas 1, 3, and 8 through 10. We find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 36. That's on page 553 of your books of praise. There the question is, What is required in the third commandment? We are not to blaspheme or to abuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence, so that we may rightly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him in all our words and works. Is the blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is also angry with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can? Certainly, for no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of His name. That is why He commanded it to be punished with death. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism
Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the last weeks we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments with the goal of coming to know our God better and learning what it means to to live as a free people now that God has set us free. And we saw that already in the first commandment where God says, have no other gods but me, that commandment exists because we were made to know and love and live with our God. In other words, we were made for relationship with our God. And nothing will ever give us greater joy or freedom than to live in relationship with God. So all the commandments are, I have set you free, now here's how you live as free. Um, The second commandment as well speaks of honoring God as God, as as not making an image of Him in our minds or with our hands, because He deserves to be honored and known as God, and only Himself as God. And so last weekend we, we explored that in the second commandment with the use of images. We're called to know God as He really is, not to substitute our ideas for God Uh, in exchange for who He really is. And this, too, is all about living in the freedom that God has purchased for us, to substitute some other God in our minds or some other idea of what God is like is to enslave ourselves to our own preferences, our own imaginations, and to, to make ourselves worshipers again of a God that cannot save. So the second commandment, too, is here's how you must live as free people. Now we come to the third commandment, and it has to do with God's name. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So this has to do with how we use God's name. Now, to take something in vain, probably not a phrase we use that often anymore, it means to treat something lightly or with little esteem. The word vain in in Hebrew simply means empty. Uh, And so the, the Hebrew word there in the Ten Commandments has to do with emptiness or worthlessness. Do not treat the name of God as if it is worthless to you. Well, we need to know in the first place how dear this is to God's heart, how, how much God cares about the use of His name. It, it may seem strange to us that you know, a whole commandment is just devoted to how we use God's name. Uh, why is this such a big deal? And there's even a severe warning issued with this commandment that God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so here as we are confronted with God's values and God's priorities, it's an opportunity for us to, to be teachable, to, to be corrected if our values and our priorities are not His values and, and priorities. Well, we get, we get a small glimpse of God's concern for His name in Isaiah 48. When this prophecy was given, I'll just give the context here, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel was already off and away in exile in Babylon. And so Isaiah here is speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. And they were facing the, the very real possibility that they too would very soon be in exile. And in this chapter, God speaks then to the people of Israel 
And he tells them in the future, we didn't read all of the prophecy, but he speaks of a time in the future when they would be called back out of Babylon. Uh, But before God reveals the details of what he intends to do for them, he first wants Israel to know why. Why is he going to bring them back? And that's what he uh, speaks of in verses 9 through 11. God promises to do good, very good things for Israel, but he wants them to know why he's going to do that, and especially in spite of their unbelief, the patterns of sin and unbelief that led them into exile. And he wants them to know, I'm not saving you because you are such worthy people. Instead, you see God's reasons in verse 9. He says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. He continues, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. He says it again, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? Again, my glory, he says, I will not give to another. So he makes this abundantly clear. The reason for God's saving work, this was true in Exodus when God took Israel out of Egypt. This is true when God brought them back out of Babylon. This is true when God has delivered us in Christ from our sins. The reason for God's saving work is the honor of His name. So that His name would be honored and not profaned. So we want to see this. These are God's values. God zealously guards His name. And we should understand God is right to do so. That's the difference between between God and us. Uh, We have some glory. We are made in the image of God. There is a glory to that. But the glory of my name and the glory of your name is a small glory. We can defend our names if our names are slandered or, or wrongly abused. It's not wrong for us to stand up and say, you may not dishonor my name in that way. But we recognize our honor is a limited honor. Uh, we, we, do all, we defend our honor with a sense of perspective. I am not God. My honor is not worth a lifetime of standing up for uh, my own honor. Uh, my honor is very limited. But God's honor is infinite. In fact, God created us. We saw this on the first commandment. God made us for the purpose of His honor and glory. Indeed, God made the entire universe for the purpose of His honor and glory. We exist for God's honor and glory. And God is also the, the ultimate arbiter. See, if we, if we say, you know, I'm, I'm going to let this go, I'm not going to defend the honor of my name, we can do that because we know that God will ultimately vindicate us. But God is the ultimate arbiter. If he doesn't defend his honor, there is no God above him to defend it. Uh, He has every right then to uphold his honor in proportion to his worth, which is infinite, and he does. We see this especially in the prophecies of Isaiah, but throughout Scripture, God defends with zeal the honor of his name. And that's then what this commandment is all about. God takes very seriously the way that we speak of Him uh, because He rightly insists 
on being honored in accordance with his worth. And it's wrong, it's even evil for anyone to defame the honor of God. He, God is not conceited or, or arrogant when he defends his honor. He's, honoring, he's defending it in accordance with his worth, as any of us would also do in accordance with our honor and worth. So here, when we already read this commandment, we want to be called up into God's priorities and, and leave behind our own values and priorities if they're not in line with His. We need to know that the name of God and the glory of God is of ultimate worth. It's worth more than anything else. And so God says in this commandment, I will not hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain. In other words, who treats my name as if it's worthless or empty. Now when God says, I will not hold him guiltless, this does not mean that God does not forgive uh, the dishonoring of his name. Otherwise, all of us would stand condemned. For who of us has honored his name as, as he deserves? Uh, he does forgive this sin. And, and the best example of this is uh, the, the disciple Peter after he uh, denied Jesus and even swore by the name of God that he did not know Jesus. He denied Jesus three times and yet he was forgiven. So God is not saying here that He does not forgive this sin, but He's saying He does not consider it a non-offense. He does regard it as sin and will hold it to account. There are several specific sins that this commandment is oriented against, several specific ways in which God's name is very often abused. And we'll take a moment just to, to look at those. The most obvious violation of this commandment has to do with uh, taking oaths in God's names and then not keeping those oaths. We call this perjury. Uh, Numbers 30, verse 2, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Failure to do what you vow especially in the name of the Lord, is perjury in, in, in God's, according to God's word. Now, there is a time and place for swearing in God's name. Uh, you see that. That's why there are regulations around it. Uh, and we'll look more at that question more closely next week when we get to Lord's Day 37. When is it appropriate to swear in God's name? But the point for now is simply this. If you swear an oath in God's name... You must keep it. When God says, I will not hold him guiltless who takes my name in vain, the most obvious takeaway is, is that God is not going to accept our excuses if afterwards we decide not to keep an oath that we have made, particularly in his name. Now again, that does not mean there's no forgiveness for those who do break their oaths. There is forgiveness. Peter is proof of it. But this is not something that God will simply overlook. He will not accept excuses for this. Uh, if there is forgiveness, it will only ever be forgiveness by the blood of Christ. And so, the, the exhortation to us is, if you are aware of oaths that you have made, particularly in God's name, and that you have not yet kept, then go and keep them. You must fulfill your oaths. God will not tolerate the abuse 
of his name. Nor, nor may we delay in, in keeping our oaths. Deuteronomy 23 verse 21 says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you shall be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. In other words, if you're not planning on keeping the oath, don't make it. But you shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Ecclesiastes 5 says the same thing. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. In other words, delayed obedience is disobedience. If we are living in disobedience, we have reason to fear for our souls. So keep your vows to God. So that's the first and probably most obvious violation of this commandment is when someone commits perjury, when people swear falsely in God's name. And by doing so, they treat the name of God as if it is worthless to them. They show that it means nothing to them. Uh, Leviticus 19 verse 12 also says, You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So to profane means to make something no longer holy. And that's what happens when we swear in God's name and then fail to keep our oaths. We, we make the, the name of God out to be something that's not special, not holy, not even uh, worth anything to us. And God regards that as a very serious insult to His honor. He takes it very seriously. Perjury, perjury can also happen when people uh, make an oath in God's name. Uh, excuse me, so, so it can happen when you make an oath in God's name and then don't keep it. It can also happen when one makes an oath in God's name about something that is either true or false. So we swear in God's name and then tell a lie. This is the way we think of perjury most often in our day in court. You, you place your hand on the Bible and you, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And even in our day, the, the most common way to do that is still on the Bible, on the Word of God. Uh, if we swear on the Word of God and in the name of God, we must tell the truth. And if we, if we do that falsely, we are again profaning the name of God. We're making Him out to be a God who has no concern for the truth. We're using His name to bolster our credibility, and it comes at the expense of His credibility. Another violation of this commandment, moving past perjury, is also profanity. Uh, this is treating God's name as if it's a curse word. Well, brothers and sisters, we need to see how profoundly offensive it is to God that people would use His name as a curse word. It has no business in our lips. The phrase, oh my God, or even oh my gosh, or the other varieties of it, they do not belong in our, on our lips or in our homes. It also has no business in our entertainment, in the movies we watch, or in the music that we listen to. I recognize this is a hard point for the Western modern church to accept that our entertainment is so often our, our sacred cow. You, you may not touch our entertainment. 
But hear it clearly from God's word. God does not tolerate the abuse of his name. It has no place in our homes. So do not tolerate it. And this is not an unreasonable position. After all, how high of a priority is it that we have access to the latest movies from Hollywood? You hear it sometimes, yeah, but then I'd have nothing to watch. Okay, if that's true, even if that's true, how high of a priority is that? It's true, to take the stance that you will not tolerate the abuse of God's name in your entertainment probably means that 80% of what's out there is is off limits. Is, Is that worth it to you? Is it worth it to trade in your integrity before God so that you can have access to the latest and greatest entertainment? Think of what David says in Psalm 101, verse 3. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Or to think about it another way, if the Lord Jesus was in the room with you, would you still watch that movie or TV show or listen to that music? See, too many of us, sadly, very tragically, think that this is just too impossible to live by. You just can't let go of of the entertainment. It's not an impossible rule. It's such a small sacrifice when you consider the sacrifices that Christians around the world make for the honor of God's name. How hard a thing is it to say, I will not tolerate the abuse of God's name. There's no reason why we need the latest uh, entertainment and, and, and most and best of Hollywood in order to survive. That's not a need. It may be a want. It's, it's, it's not a need. In fact, we probably, most of us, could use less entertainment altogether. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, make the most of the time, of the time because the days are evil. It's not to say there's no place for rest and entertainment, but this is not our highest priority and, and certainly must not be our, our sacred cow. We have fellow Christians to visit. We have ministries to pursue, friends to to speak to, spouses to love, kids to cherish and to teach, and a thousand other more meaningful things. This ought not to be our sacred cow. And again, this, this is not legalism. Some will say, oh, this is being legalist, saying what I may or may not watch or tolerate in my home. It's not legalism. It's saying, my God and Savior has made it clear that He detests the abuse of His name. And so I, because I love Him, will listen to this call. I owe Him my life. I will do what I must do to defend the honor of His name. So then I urge you, brothers and sisters, if you haven't already, resolve to keep the abuse of God's name out of your homes. This commandment also raises the question of uh, of how to speak to our friends and our colleagues when we hear God's name being abused. What do we do when, when they abuse God's name? The catechism asks the same question. Is the blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is also angry with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can? And the answer it gives is yes, for no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of His name. In fact, that's why He commanded it in the Old Testament to be punished even with death. Now, it's important to keep in mind the phrase that the Catechism also uses, as much as they can. Uh, There are times when the abuse of God's name in the workplace is simply beyond 
our control. We're not guilty for that. Uh, if if we are in a position of authority in the workplace, we, we can. We even have the legal right to set standards for what kind of language is acceptable in the workplace. And then as as people that belong to Christ, we should set uh, those standards. But, uh, but even if we're not in a position of authority, as always, it comes down to our love for God and our reverence for His name. As we learn to honor God rightly and value his honor it's a matter of our hearts and how what is the reaction in our hearts to hearing the abuse of the name of our savior if you were to hear your your spouse's name reviled would you tolerate it if you were to hear your best friend's name dragged through the mud would you accept it or would you go and speak That's the heart attitude that God also calls us to have with regard to His most majestic and most holy name. If you're not in a position of authority to stop it, you may still be in a place where you can confront it and and speak about it. The Catechism tells us that we are not to be silent bystanders to the abuse of God's name. In most cases, it's amazing how far you can go by simply speaking to someone about the abuse of God's name. They might laugh, they might get upset, they might ridicule you, but more often than not, they will respect that position. And oftentimes, they will be more thoughtful in in the future. Of course, there's a time and place for that. You don't barge into a brand new workplace and demand that everyone uh, get in line with, with, with your standards, even though they're good and biblical standards. But again, it's a question of your love for God's name. If you value it, if you honor it, you will do all that you can to prevent uh, its abuse. And of course, another way to, to not be a silent bystander is to simply not silently stand by. Uh, You may either speak or you may walk away. And and there is a time and place for that as well. Well, there's a couple more things that should be said about this commandment. We've considered perjury, false oaths, and profanity as as abuses of God's name. Uh, There's another way that God's name is often misused, and, and that's in false prophecy, falsely speaking in God's name. This is one of the most common themes in the book of Jeremiah, God's war against false prophets. Take Jeremiah 14, verse uh, verse 14. The Lord said to me, says the prophet, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. There are times when we may speak and should speak in God's name. That's, that's my task as a minister, to speak the words of God. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter uh, 4. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. And there I believe he's referring to the task of, of the preacher. Uh, you might look at Titus 2, verse 15 as well, where Paul tells the minister, Titus, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So there are times when we are called to speak in God's name. Uh, we also do this even in our own uh, conversations. We should speak with, with the authority of God's word. 
But here's the thing. We do this, we speak in God's name only when we're speaking in accordance with God's word. Think of how many sects, how many uh, cults of Christianity have arisen when someone declares that they have a vision from God, that God has spoken through them without grounding that truth in the Word of God. And what that is, is it's taking God's name in vain. And we need to be very careful about this in our own times as well. Uh, I'm not saying that God never speaks to us in, in dreams or visions. To say that would be to go beyond what Scripture teaches. But we should be very careful about saying things like, God told me such and such. Because so often what this is, is using God's name to bolster our credibility at the expense of His credibility. Scripture is filled with warnings about about those who do this. Jeremiah 23, verse 16, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. 23, verse 21, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. Think even of the Lord Jesus' words in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Or one more, 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we should be very careful about saying things like, God told me uh, such and such, even if we feel convinced that God has revealed something to us. Do not take His name in vain. You might be wrong. The abuse of God's name was so common in in the days of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, that you can almost hear their frustration as genuine prophets of God. Ezekiel, he was a priest trained in, in, the, in the ministry of the Word of God. That was part of the job of the priest, to, to preach the Word, to explain the Word. And he declares in Ezekiel 7, verse 26, Disaster comes upon disaster. Rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet, while the law, in other words, the Word of God in the Old Testament, that was just called the law, the law perishes from the priest, and counsel perishes from the elders. Isaiah says the same thing in Isaiah 8, uh, verse 20. He says, To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn, he says. In other words, no revelation, no light from God. It's not, sometimes it's treated as a, as a less spiritual thing to, to be a people that rely on the Word of God. That is not less spiritual. The Word of God is a Word that comes from and through the Spirit. Uh, the Word of God is our measure for what God wants us to know and wants us to declare with authority. If we have a vision or a dream, we, we can treasure that within our hearts. We can ponder it. We might cautiously speak of it even with with one another, but we should be very, very careful before we say this is a dream or a vision that has come from God and God has spoken to me through it. In this respect, we we should even be careful to use phrases like uh, God led me to do 
such and such. It's true, God does lead us through His Word. He leads us also through the circumstances of our lives. Uh, He opens and closes doors. And we can see God's hand leading us in those ways. But that language, God led me to do this, can very often be used as, as a way to justify what we have done. And again, it's, it's taking his credibility and using it to bolster our own. Instead, we might say things like, uh, I felt led to do this, or I, I feel convinced that this is the right thing to do. But there, we're not standing then on God's authority, but we're saying, here's my conviction. And it's, a, it's a more modest, more honest, more sincere way of speaking of, uh, of our convictions. And what all of this comes down to is is simply reverence for the name and honor and credibility of God. It's considering God so worthy of our honor that we wouldn't dare to defame Him in any way. Alright, we've considered perjury. We've considered uh, profanity. We've looked at false prophecy. There's one more abuse of God's name that we ought to, to think about. And it's perhaps not as obvious as, as the others. And it's this. It's claiming to be God's people without reflecting God's character. In other words, it's hypocrisy. If you look again at Isaiah 48, which we read together, you can see this uh, so clearly. This is the charge that God brings against Israel. He says in verse 1, Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves or ground themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is His name. What God is saying to them is, you can't take my name for yourselves. Or, excuse me, you, you do take, you're taking my name for yourselves. And that's right because I've made a covenant with you. But then you're not living as my people. And that makes it hypocrisy. You confess to the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. The reason for this is that they were at the same time worshiping other gods. They were calling themselves by the name of God, and yet in practice what people saw in their lives was something very different. They were not giving God the honor and worship that He was due. And that is taking also taking God's name in vain. It's treating God's name as if it's worthless. To call yourselves the people of God, or for us to call ourselves Christians, to use that name of Christ, and then not live in, in, in a way that reflects Christ's character, is to treat that name as if it's worthless to us. We need to see again, God is jealous, jealous for the honor of His name. And so we can say the same thing then about the name of Christian today. It is our name. God gives it to us in Christ. And it's, it's right. We should call ourselves by that name. It's not wrong to call yourself a Christian. It's simply to say, Christ is my Lord. I am His disciple. But if we take that name, then we must truly be His disciples. If we take that name, we should make sure that that name is honored by us. Uh, To take the name of Christ for ourselves while not reflecting the character of Christ or doing the commands of Christ 
would be to take that name in vain. The Lord himself says it this way in in Luke uh, 6, verse 46. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? See, having the name of Christ and keeping the commands of Christ must always go hand in hand. In this respect too, Christ will not hold anyone guiltless who takes his name in vain. He does not consider that a non-offense. Now, of course, this is not speaking about those who who take the name of Christian and yet find themselves struggling against their sin, uh, trying to keep His commandments. That that wasn't the issue in Isaiah 48. That wasn't the issue in Luke 6, where the Lord Jesus speaks of this as well. What He's talking here is, is a confession and life that contradict one another. See, part of the commands of Christ are also the confession of our sins. It's recognizing uh, that we're sinners. So he's not saying, uh, shame on anyone who who claims my name and yet uh, isn't perfect in his life, but shame on anyone who takes the name of Christ and refuses to live consistently with it, confessing his sins, repenting of them, and fighting against them. that's, that's also then how God puts it in Isaiah 48. You confess the God of Israel, but not in truth. It's a refusal to hear God and to submit to Him. To say, I, I am God's people. I'm one of God's people. Or I am a Christian, but I don't listen to my Lord. It's a life and a confession that contradict one another. And that kind of hypocrisy has consequences for the honor of God's name. People will make conclusions about the character of God by looking at God's children and God's people. If God's people are acknowledging their sin and striving against it, striving to live according to God's will, then even though we're far from perfect, people will see the character of the God that we worship. They will see that, yes, we are sinners, but He is perfect. He is righteous. But if we name the name of God while living a life of sin and refusing to confess it and refusing to deal with it, then it will show and God will receive the dishonor. Again, then it's bolstering our credibility at the expense of His. That's why God says to the leaders of Israel just a few chapters later after Isaiah 48, in chapter 52 He says, My name is blasphemed all day long because of you. So this commandment is is very wide-reaching. It's not simply a matter of watching our language. It's a matter of our heart. God calls us, and rightly so, to have a love and a reverence for His name. And then it's good to remember, why do we revere God's name? What context was that given in Isaiah, or excuse me, in Exodus 20? We revere God's name because He's the God who has freed us, the God who has delivered us. And the same is true with respect to to Christ. Why do we treat the name of Christ with such honor and esteem? Because Christ came for us to live the life we should have lived, to die the death that we deserve to die, to bring us into eternal life. That's why we love His name. That's why we honor and esteem Him. And so we take to heart what the Lord Jesus teaches us. Think also of the Sermon on the Mount where He says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That should be our deepest desire as well, that our lives would give glory to His most worthy name. 
And that's then the heart of this commandment. It's beautiful that in in God's providence, we just happen to be on on this Lord's Day concerning making vows in God's name. And and here we have three young people about to make vows in God's name. Uh, We recognize as we consider this commandment that that is a very serious vow. These these oaths are are very significant in God's eyes. We, We don't make them lightly. But we also want to recognize the fact that God delights in hearing His children make their vows in His name. In fact, God commands us to do this. Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. See, we would, run, we would make the opposite mistake if we would do as, as the Pharisees of Jesus' day did and, and make it a rule that we're, never, we're just never going to use the name of God. That way we don't ever misuse it. That's not why God gave us His name. The alternative to misusing God's name is not to refrain from using it altogether, but to use His name with honor because He's given His name to us. God delights to hear His children confess and even swear by His name. That's why He gave it to us. And so He calls us also then as we use His name to use it with great honor and esteem and integrity and also joy. Joy because the name that He gives you to use is the name that He gives you to have as well. When when you are a Christian, you bear God's name. Daniel says it in his prayer in Daniel 9. He calls God to, to forgive. He prays for God to forgive His people. And he says the last verse of that chapter, Do this, for your people are called by your name. How great is it that we may appeal to God to save us, to have mercy on us, not because of our worth, but because of the worth of His name that He's given us to appeal to. So you young people also consider again the name which you have been given already in your baptism and join in the confession of all God's people who, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen.